0: The following sermon is by a guest speaker at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647-US12-WEST in Edwardsburg. We hope you are encouraged by the following message. Well, good morning, guys. Man, y'all can do better than that. I know you can. I feel like Pastor Dan is 10 feet taller than me. Does anybody else feel that way right now? Because this is right in my chest. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, make your way over to Luke chapter 15. My name is Tyler Holder, and I serve as the pastor of men's and college discipleship at Gospel City Church down in Granger. And man, it is such an honor to be here with you this morning. I love opening God's Word. I love meeting God's people. And I'm excited to see what will happen today as we open His Word to Luke chapter 15. 15. Now a couple things you need to know about me. I've um, been married for about 12 years, not about 12 years. I have been married for 12 years. Um, I have two children, an 8-year-old son and a 5-year-old daughter. I didn't have gray hair till I had a daughter. I don't know why that happened, um, and it did, and it just is what it is, right? Um, but I'm super grateful to be here. Um, there's not a lot that I can say about Liberty. I, I, I was there for a long time, and uh, we did win an ACC game yesterday, but it was for Syracuse, so let's be honest. Syracuse football doesn't really mean anything. Um, so it is a W. Hey, uh, I don't know if you're like me, but growing up, I cut my teeth on the different uh, tall tales of old. Do y'all remember things like Skin and Johnny Appleseed? Did anybody else grow up on those stories? Right? Did anybody else still tell your children those stories today? right? I, I, I loved hearing and reading those stories growing up. In fact, I read them and heard them so much that I could recount them from memory time and time and time again. And then this crazy thing happened. I had kids, and I started to tell my kids these same stories. And then I found there was this organization named Disney that took those stories and made them into movies, which made my job way easier, right? Jax, don't, don't, worry about, don't worry about Rapunzel. Let's just watch Tangled, and they'll tell you the whole story, and then I came home one day from work, and my wife met me at the door, and she said, you got to to check this out. You got to check this out. I, I found this book at the library. Okay, babe, what is it? It's this book called Brothers Grimm. Okay, did, did y'all know that Disney wasn't the first one to write about Rapunzel, did y'all know that? At the idiot that I am, I was like, "What? They are they are they just recounting Disney's story?" No, 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 no. And then as she began to un- open and unfold different stories from the Brothers Grimm, I began to hear things in a new way. Hey, did did y'all know that Rapunzel wasn't as seamless as Disney would have you think? right? Did, did you know that the love story, the happily ever after, wasn't so happily ever after when the Brothers Grimm wrote it, right? The bro falls out of a tower, blinds his eyes, and wanders in the woods for a couple of years. I don't know why that didn't make the Disney movie. Um, I just feel like they would have added to the plot line a little bit more, right? What I began to realize is that, man, I had heard these stories for so long, and I assumed that I knew the outcome. I assumed I knew how the story would unfold, It's kind of like watching a Hallmark movie. We all know the kiss happens in the last 30 seconds. And this morning, as we look at Luke chapter 15, here's my fear. My fear is, is that as we parachute into the middle of these kingdom parables that Jesus is teaching, that we're going to assume we've heard the story and we really haven't. That that we're gonna look at a familiar parable. We're gonna look at a parable that if you've been in church any stretch of time, you have heard probably a thousand different times. We're gonna look at the parable of the prodigal son. And here's my fear. My fear is that we will immediately check out because we know the end result. And could I just present before you today one thing, that Jesus would have us learn something that we've never seen and never heard before because his word is powerful. Now, I fear we, we've we heard the parable of the prodigal son wrong our whole lives. I know I have. Growing up in church, I've heard this story over and over and over again, and I always assumed the adjective prodigal was a bad thing. I don't want to be prodigal in my living. I don't want to have a prodigal child. I don't want to have anything prodigal in my life. But did you know that the word prodigal means to spend or give lavishly? I don't know if this is working, and it isn't. So there's a slide, and it's going to affirm what I've just said. I promise you, right? So, when we look at the story of the two lost sons in Luke 15, starting in verse 11, what we're going to see is we're going to see that the prodigalness isn't so much in the children as it is in the father. Because if prodigal means to spend or give lavishly, we're going to see that the most prodigal person in this parable is the father, who gives everything to be with his sons. So today as we work through this parable, what I hope we'll see is I hope we'll see this kingdom principle that God's initiating love, God's initiating love invites the wayward and the prideful to experience redemption. That God's initiating love invites the wayward, those that are far away, and the prideful, those that think they don't need him to experience redemption. Now, before we parachute in here to Luke 15, starting in verse 11, I'd love to pray for us and then we'll jump right in. Father, we thank you for the opportunity you give us to open your word. Lord, we thank you that in your word we find life, we find hope, we find purpose. Thank you that your word has everything we need for life and godliness. And Father, it's from your word that we're asking you today to challenge our hearts. For Father, if you don't, there's nothing we can do. We love you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Now I realize we're jumping into the middle of a parable here, a middle of a chapter here in Luke 15. So for us to get the context, I want us to refer back to verses 1 and 2 and see the audience that Jesus is instructing here in Luke 15. Luke 15, starting in verse 1, this is what the Bible says. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So from Luke 15, the first two verses, we see that there's two distinct characters. There's two distinct people that Jesus is addressing here in this parable. He's addressing tax collectors and sinners. Now here's what we need to know about tax collectors and sinners. Yo, they are known by their sin. It's that person that walks by you on the street and you know they've had a rough night. Y'all ever been around those folks? Right? It's those types of people Jesus is inviting and investing in tax collectors and sinners. They know the sin that they have committed. They are identified by that sin and they have no hope of any redemption in themselves. They are completely dependent upon God to redeem them. And they have willing ears to listen and respond to Jesus' teaching. Now you take the tax collectors and the sinners and you contrast them to the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees, they have trusted in their religiosity and their works instead of the teachings of Jesus. They have put their hope in themselves to earn salvation. They are perceived to be without fault because of how they live and their external appearance. And look at how they respond to Jesus' teaching. They grumble at him. They complain about it. So this morning, as we look at Luke 15, starting in verse 11, what we're going to examine is we're going to examine three scenes in this parable and ask one question. But before we do that, we need to understand that there are tax collectors and sinners and scribes and Pharisees here today. And who we are will determine how we hear this parable. It's the tax collectors and the sinners that have ears to hear what Jesus says. It's the scribes and Pharisees that tend to grumble and complain because Jesus' teaching goes against their perceived religiosity. So my hope today is that we'll open our eyes, open our ears to hear this parable fresh and anew. Luke 15, jump, jump on down to verse 11, and we'll look at our first scene. The first scene is simply this, a scene of reckless living, Notice how Jesus begins this parable. And a parable, by the way, is Jesus using stories and pictures from everyday life to tell us his heart and his ways. Notice what he says in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living." The first scene here is a scene of reckless living, and we see it right here in the beginning in verses 11 and 12. If you'll notice, it's a parable of a man who has two sons, and already we see the camera zooming in on the younger of the two sons. He approaches his father with reckless words and declares to him, Father, give me what's mine when you die. He's coming to the Father with reckless words, declaring to him that I don't have any desire to be with you. I don't want you around in my life at all. I only want your benefit. So give me what's mine when you die. At this moment in the first century, when Jesus is teaching the audience around him, the scribes and the Pharisees and the tax collectors and sinners, they would have let out an audible gasp. (gasps) Say, what? Because what this son has just done is entirely disrespectful. And the audience would have been expecting Jesus to pivot in the story and say, and the man, the father, disowned his son had had nothing to do with him for the rest of his life. They would have let out an audible gasp because what the son has just done is unheard of. But even more so, what the father does in response is unthinkable. The younger son is buying into the lie that life apart from the father is better than life with the father. The younger son is buying into the lie that the benefit of the father is what I desire more than the father himself. The younger son approaches his father. Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Verse 13, his reckless words lead to reckless decisions. Notice, not many days later, in layman's terms, yo, just a minute. Just a few minutes later, the bro sells all that he has, gathers all that he has, and takes a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Literally, he wastes what the Father has just given him on nothing. Y'all ever bought something and then immediately regretted it? No, I'm the only one? Okay, praise the Lord, right? Now, there have been so many times in my life when I have bought something and immediately gone, that was stupid. Why, why would I do that? Why, a, a, a Saturn? Come on. Come on, Tyler. You're better than that, right? That's what this younger son does. He takes a journey to a faraway country. Here's the reality of a faraway country, by the way. Nobody knows who the son is. Nobody knows who his family is. He has no context. He has no community. He has no one there that can call him to account. He leaves and wastes all that he has in reckless living. The reckless decisions that he is making will have consequences. And here's the reality for you and I today. That the reckless decisions we make have lasting consequences in our lives. That The reckless decisions we make bring pain, hurt, They fracture relationships. They shatter hearts. I don't know if you're like me, but when I read these first few verses in this parable, I see myself in the younger son. Going to the father, desiring his benefit, not desiring him. Using reckless words, God, give me what I want. Let me have my way. And then taking what he graciously gives and squandering it in reckless living I can remember as a 17 year old boy I'm 34 I've had a few years after 17 hopefully a little wiser as a 17 year old boy before I knew Jesus man I was thick and reckless living and even to this day the scars that I have are present and active what about you what about you teenager the decisions that you're making, the life you're pursuing? Are you making reckless decisions that will have lasting impact? I've seen it on repeat in young adults' lives. I am blessed to have a lot of young adults in my life, 18 to 24-year-olds, and the decisions they make are a little different than their teenage counterparts. Did you know that? The decisions that an 18 to 24-year-old makes that is reckless has far greater implications. What about you, young adult? Consider the decisions you're making. Are they leaving scars, pain, hurt, fractured hearts? What about you, mom and dad? Husband, wife, man, woman? The reality is, all of us enter into this world living recklessly because we're all in rebellion to God. Each and every one of us, fractured by sin, living under its curse. And when our hearts are made aware that there is a God who cares for us and desires us, he's calling us out of that reckless living, out of that reckless life, away from those reckless words through the power of the gospel, which extends to you new life. Notice what the younger son does. Verse 14, he had spent everything and a severe famine arose in that country And he began to be in need. The younger son is experiencing something he has never experienced in the father's house and that's being in need. And notice his response. He goes and he hires himself, literally attaches himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing, literally lusting, to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. You see, the culmination of this younger son's reckless words and reckless decisions is a reckless life. And the reckless life is resulting in him hanging out in a pigsty chilling with the pigs, desiring to be fed their slop. Now, maybe we don't get that because we don't really hang out a lot in the first century because, well, we just can't, right? But realize that in the first century, the hearers of this parable would hear this and go, no, he, he didn't just ask for what was his when his father died and disrespect his father. He didn't just attach himself to those that have nothing to do with Israel. No, no, he's going, he's hanging out, he's residing in the unclean. This boy is so far gone, there's nothing to bring him back. That's what's flashing through the minds of those that are listening to this parable. That's what should be flashing through our minds. The younger son is stuck in the lie that life apart from the father is better than life with the father. He's stuck in the lie that he's so far gone, there's no hope for him. He's stuck in the lie that he could never go back to his father, because how could his father ever accept him? Look at what he's done. And at this moment, we enter into scene two, and scene two is a scene of reconciliation. So we go from a scene of reckless living. Notice verse 17, the beginning of the scene of reconciliation. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. See, the beginning of reconciliation starts, it begins with recognition. The phrase right there in verse 17, when he came to himself, is the root word for repent. To repent literally he's going one way he's hanging out in the pigsty and to repent means to turn to leave what he's doing and go the other way the father's house is the exact opposite direction of where he's hanging out and he makes that decision he comes to his senses and he turns he doesn't just do that notice the resolve that he has how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread but i perish here with hunger I will arise and go to my Father. Oh, the beauty of a heart that is rooted in repentance. Listen. We've said it already and we'll say it again. We dwell in reckless living. We dwell in rebellion because of the sin that is, well, that is ours when we're born into it. And until we come to the point where we turn from our sins to pursue the Father, we will be stuck in reckless living and never experience reconciliation. The beauty of the gospel is that the work has been accomplished on the cross. And the beauty of the gospel is that it invites you in to reconciliation through repentance. Oh, that community would be a place marked with reconciliation, marked with repentance, marked with people that have realized their reckless living and turned from it. Oh, may we not be known by how we used to live. May we be known by the life we now have through the power of the gospel. I love what the younger son does. He resolves in his heart to go and return back to the father. And notice what he says in the latter part of verse 18 and verse 19. Verse 19. It says, I will go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I don't know about you, but growing up, one of the worst things my mom could say to me is, is this small phrase, Tyler, we'll just wait till your father gets home. Y'all ever say that to your kids? Don't. It is like torture, right? It could be 9 a.m., middle of the summer on a Tuesday. I've done something stupid. My mom gets real sweet with me. Come here, Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, Mom? What's up? Hey, um, Tyler. Yeah? Yeah? Hey, I love you. I know, Mom. We're just going to wait till your father gets home. And at that moment, I'm like, no, Mom, do anything you want. Like, it doesn't matter. Just I don't want to wait for Dad to get home. And then the next seven hours, you spend rehearsing your story. Y'all do this? No? Okay, maybe I'm the only one, right? And about 30 minutes before your dad gets home, every pair of underwear comes on? No? Okay, maybe I had a different childhood. What I'm sensing is that my childhood was different, okay? And then my dad would come in, walking in, and I'd come waddling up to him, and he'd go, boy, you wearing a diaper? Maybe, I don't know. What's it to you, dad, right? And I'd immediately launch into my story. Dad, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. It wasn't my fault, it wasn't my fault. It, it was those other two boys that you have, my brothers. It was their fault. Dad, you don't, no, 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 no. You don't understand that. It's not my fault. It's your wife's fault because that always goes over well, right? Here's what I love about the younger son. The younger son resolves in his heart to return to the father. And notice part of repentance, part of being reconciled to the father is not placing the blame for reckless living on anyone but ourselves, he, he could have easily said, Father, it was your fault. You gave me that money. You're the one that enabled me to do that. He could have said, No, 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 Father, it's not my fault. It was those in the faraway country's fault. They're the ones that made me do it. No, no, no. I love what the younger son says. He says, I will arise and go to my father and simply say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. It's my fault. I'm the one that's did, that did this. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He takes the blame for the decisions that he's made. He bears the responsibility. And that's important for us to see. Because if we're to experience reconciliation through the gospel, we must realize that our sin is nobody else's fault but our own. We bear the weight of our sin. No one else does. Notice verse 20. He arose and... Came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Yo, know, if I'm the son in verse 20 and I see my father running towards me, the last thing I'm expecting him to do is to embrace me. I, I think he's gaining speed just to have a, a firmer punch, right? Maybe that again, childhood's different, I guess. I don't know, right? But when he arose, he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. So his father's been looking for him. He feels compassion, literally empathy. He has a feeling for what his son has gone through. He runs. By the way, in the first century, to run is shameful for a man of standing. And this father is of extreme standing. His father runs through the village bearing the shame that should be cast upon his son, has empathy on him, feels what he has gone through, embraces him. Literally, the idea is to hug and just drape yourself over someone's neck. Kisses him. The father graciously welcomes him back. And then as if on cue, notice what the younger son does. Verse 21, the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. It's like he didn't even hear it. It's like he's just sitting there going, no, 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 I get it, I get it, I get it. I hear you. I know you're back. I know what's happened to you. All I wanted to hear is that, man, you have bore the weight of the decisions that you have made. It's not anybody else's fault. We recognize it's your fault, but hey, I don't, I don't need to hear anything else. I'm welcoming you back because you have a heart of repentance, a heart to be reconciled back to me. Quickly, bring quickly the best robe. The best robe is the father's robe. Put it on him and put a ring on his finger, a signet ring, signifying the family that he belongs to. Put shoes on his feet because the younger son in his poverty had lost everything and now the father completely restores him. Oh, the beauty of reconciliation bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. When when you read verse 23, by the way, think biggest party you've ever seen, and then multiply it by 10. That's what's happening here in Luke 15. You can't just go to Meijer and buy a fattened calf. Maybe you can. I've never tried. I don't know. In the first century, you couldn't. There was only one fattened calf Quickly, bring it, slaughter it, kill it, let us eat, let us celebrate. Verse 24 is so important. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. In the first century, if a son would have done what the younger son did, they would have buried an empty casket, signifying that the son was dead, no longer a part of the family. If you scan back through the rest of Luke 15, verses 10 and backwards, you'll see that there are celebration after celebration after celebration in heaven when what is lost is found. There's beauty in being found. There's beauty when what has been dead is now restored to life. The Father celebrates because the Son has been brought back. The son is reconciled. The son has repented and returned to the father. In this moment, let's just hit pause and realize that there's celebration today in heaven when what is lost is found when what is dead is brought back to life. When you and I, sinners separated by God, destined for an eternity apart from him in hell, hear the gospel, the beauty that God is holy, And that man is sinful. That God in his holiness sends his perfect son to be the sacrifice for our sins. Lives a perfect life, which is crazy for us to think about. Bears the weight of our sin on the cross. Dies a death we deserve. Is buried and three days later is resurrected and now is seated at the right hand of God beckoning you through salvation, faith in him to return. When we return, oh, the party that happens in heaven. Because what's dead is now alive, what's lost is now found. We see a glimpse of that party here in this parable, and at this point, you should be asking a question. The question you should be asking is this is the parable of the two lost sons. We're two thirds of the way through. Yo, where's the elder brother? Right? Am I the only one asking? You should always ask questions, by the way, when you read the Bible, it's a great practice. This is a question I'm asking at this moment, and just on cue, we enter verse 25, and we see the third and final scene, and it's a scene of rejection. The elder brother comes on the scene in verse 25. He's been where he has always been, in the father's house, doing what he perceives is right. Notice what happens in verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. You see, we see a glimpse into the elder brother's heart right here, don't we? The elder brother's heart is a heart that's full of anger. The elder brother's heart is the heart of a scribe and a Pharisee which trusts in his actions, trusts in his perceived self-righteousness, trusts in his proximity to the father. See the elder brother. His anger flames because he hears the party. And I can just see his face. If this was a movie, this is what would be happening. The son would be setting behind the older brother and he's walking over a really beautiful hill full of wheat that's blowing in the wind. Y'all get the picture, right? And as he's cresting the hill, he hears the music and in his mind, he thinks, man, the father has finally seen it. He finally knows who I am. He's seen my work. He's seen what I've done. I have been in his house for forever and now he is giving me what's rightly mine. And as the servant passed, he's got the happy eyes. Y'all know happy eyes, Right? These are happy eyes right here. Right? And as the servant, made, hey, come here, come here, come here. And the servant walks by, hey, what, what? Hey, what's going on? Is this party? I mean, it's gotta be for me, right? And the servant goes, Oh, you didn't know? No. Didn't. What what? What don't I know? Oh, your your brother. Yes! My brother, the one I hate. The one that we buried an empty coffin because he's dead. Praise Jesus. Yes, that brother. Yeah, yeah, he's back. And at that moment, he'd go from happy eyes to crazy eyes. Y'all ever been around crazy eyes? type of eyes you don't want to be alone in the room with. Y'all know those eyes, right? And his anger would begin to flame. He doesn't even see the beauty of what has been lost being found. Now, for you and I, our anger is maybe a little different than the elder brother's. For you and I, when we have an elder brother mentality, we don't get necessarily angry when somebody comes to the Lord. Our anger is fleshed out in different ways. When you and I, if we have an elder brother mentality, our anger comes out in things like God, I have been serving you for so long. I deserve fill in the blank. I deserve to be married. I deserve that promotion. I deserve to have kids that just obey me whenever I say, yo, come on, really? Our anger is different than the elder brother's anger. But an older brother mentality is just as prevalent today as it is in the parable. The truth of the matter is, it's really easy for us to spot a younger son, isn't it? Living in flagrant sin, disregarding everything the father has declared, running from him, fleeing him, living in the distant land, it's really easy for us to spot a younger son. It's more difficult to spot an elder. Do you know why? Because they're in our midst right now. They've bought into the lie, much like the younger son bought into a lie, they've bought into a lie that proximity to the father means a relationship with the father. And the reality is, is that the elder son and the younger son both are guilty of the same thing: desiring the benefit from the father and not desiring the father. Notice what happens, though. The latter part of verse twenty-eight. The elder son's angry. He refuses to go in. He's taking his ball and going home. And his father came out and entreated him, literally begs him. But he answers his father. Look, you can hear the disrespect. These many years, I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. He's self-righteous. He's elevating himself. He's mistaken proximity with the Father for relationship with him, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And at this point, he should have stopped talking. Y'all ever been around somebody that just should stop talking, but they keep talking? Maybe that's you. Are you that person in those friendships years, right? Right? At this point, he just keeps speaking, and and notice what he says in verse 30. But when this son of yours, it's not my brother, it's this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Do you want to know who the fattened calf was for usually? It's for the eldest son's wedding. There's only one. The father takes What the elder son perceives as his slaughters it to celebrate the renewal of life in the younger. Oh, is he ticked. Man, he is mad. And at this point, the audience would have gasped just as much as they would have gasped when the younger son said, Father, I wish you were dead. Give me what's mine. And notice the father's response. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I find it interesting in verse 31. Jesus uses a word that he's used all throughout this parable. It's the word son. It's the parable of the two lost sons, right? Here in verse 31, he changes the word. All throughout the previous verses in the parable, it's a generic word, just meaning son. Just, hey, son. Here in verse 31, he changes the word to a word called technon. It's a word that carries with it a very familial, very loving approach. It's as if the father's just getting down. He's like, man, come here. Like, you know I love you. You know I care for you. You're my son. All that I have is yours. You never lacked. It's interesting that he uses that with the elder son, not the younger Because the reality is, is that the younger sons know what they have done. They know their distance from the father. They know the hurt that they've caused. They don't need to be reminded that the father loves them. They're throwing themselves onto the hope of the love of the father. But an elder son, who's stuck in his self-righteous superior mentality, mistaking proximity with the father for relationship with him, needs to be reminded Son, I love you. I care for you. What's mine is yours. You're just going about it an entirely wrong way. At the end of the day, what is plaguing the younger son and the elder son is the exact same, and it is desiring the benefit of the father without desiring the father. Both are guilty. Both are lost. Both are separated from him. So today, as we come to a final close, I want to ask this simple question. Have I responded to God's initiating love? This morning, there's elder brothers and sisters and younger brothers and sisters in our midst. And maybe we need to be reminded of the fact that God's initiating love invites the wayward and the prideful to experience redemption. That regardless of your position, regardless of your station, hear afresh and anew the beauty of the gospel and how it is inviting you to life anew. How God, in his grace, extends his love to you, community. And how Edwardsburg could be vastly different if we abandon reckless living to pursue reconciliation with the the Father if we abandon our rejection of God and our pridefulness of life and pursue reconciliation with the Father, have you responded to God's initiating love? The offer is here for you today and he invites the wayward and the prideful to experience redemption. Oh, that your heart would be challenged by that. I'd love to pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity you've given us to open your word. We thank you that we have life in you. And Father, I pray that as we examine, have examined your word, that you would challenge our hearts. So Lord, we love you. I pray that if there are younger sons and daughters here today, that they would abandon their reckless living and come to you. Father, I pray that there, if there are elder sons and daughters here today, that they would recognize that proximity to you doesn't mean they have a relationship with you and that they would repent and come to their senses and return to you and respond to your initiating love. It's in your name we pray, amen. Today's message was brought to you by a guest speaker at Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.